You can turn to Matthew 13. I'd ask you, if you would, to please scoot to the middle. We have people waiting to come in. We're really full this morning. Well, my kiddos, my five-year-olds, had their first Christmas pageant this week. Gracie was Mary. She's here in the blue. Yeah, with a big smile on her face because she totally stole the show with her one line. Come on, Joseph, let's stop at this house. Maybe they'll have room for us to sleep tonight. I have that line memorized many times over because we've been practicing it for weeks to help her get ready. And, and as we practice that line, it, it's kind of struck me. If you just stop and you think about what Mary was asking, isn't it a little odd that, that when our creator, the king of heaven and earth, was, was about to arrive, he was about to be born, his mom had to ask for a room. King of Kings was coming. The the creator was about to be born. And the best that we could do was to spare a manger where, where we kept animals. There was no room for Jesus in Bethlehem on that first Christmas night. And here we are 2,000 years later and there is still no room for Jesus this Christmas in many of our lives. You see, Christmas in America has become a nonstop sprint from Thanksgiving to New Year's. There's so much to do. There's Christmas cookies to bake. There's a tree to put up and decorate. There's lights to hang. There's presents to buy and wrap. There's cars to send. There's relatives to visit. There's parties to attend. There's so many things to do. And if we haven't watched Elf at least five times, it's not Christmas. Just have so many things to do. How could we possibly stop and celebrate the arrival of Jesus when we are just so busy? It reminds me of a story that I heard years ago. Back in 2007, the Washington Post conducted an experiment. They hired a guy named Joshua Bell, a world-famous concert violinist, to play during rush hour on a Washington, D.C. subway platform dressed only in plain clothes, standing next to a trash can with his violin out for tips. Now, when this guy plays in a concert hall, he earns $1,000 a minute. So he's, he's pretty good. And that violin that he's playing, it's a $3.5 million Stradivarius. So he plays a concert for 45 minutes as 1,100 people walk by. How many of them do you think stopped, listened, and gave him a tip? 20 He earned $32 for a 45-minute concert. Everyone else just passed him by. They didn't even look at him. They didn't stop and listen. They didn't notice. They just passed him by. There was something absolutely extraordinary standing right in front of them, and they totally missed it. Now, why did they miss it? Why didn't they stop? Why didn't they listen? Why didn't they notice this incredible talent in front of them? Well, because it was rush hour. All of those people were rushing to work, trying not to be late. Their minds were full of of tasks that they had to do that day. They were thinking about projects they had to finish, phone calls they had to make, meetings they had to attend. All of these things filled their minds and left no room for the incredible talent of Joshua Bell to, to sink in. I'm afraid that that's exactly the dilemma that we face during Christmas in America. Our to-do list is a thousand pages long. We, we have so many things to do that there's just no time for us to stop and notice that something extraordinary happened 2,000 years ago on this day. Something incredible. 
That's what Christmas is all about. I'm afraid that we're just like those, those subway riders that missed the incredible talent of Joshua Bell. We just have no time to stop and look and notice the meaning of Christmas, the arrival of Jesus Christ, our Savior. There is no room for Christ in Christmas in many of our lives during this time of year. We're just so busy. And so this morning, what what I want to do for you is I want to give you a couple ideas to help you to stop and pay attention to the meaning of Christmas. I want to give you a couple practical ideas to help you to be able to hit pause on your incredibly long to-do list and just for a minute sit at the feet of Jesus and remember what this holiday is all about. I want you to be able to stop and reflect on the fact that 2,000 years ago, the Creator became one of us. The Almighty became an infant so that he could live for us and die for us, so that we could have eternal life. So I'm going to give you a couple ideas this morning to help you to keep Christ first in Christmas, this holiday season. So the first practical idea for you, if you want to keep Christ first this Christmas, you've got to simplify your schedule. Simplify your schedule. If you've turned to Matthew 13, let's look at Matthew 13. We're going to read a parable that many of you are familiar with. Matthew 13, starting in verse 3. And he, that is Jesus, told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now in this parable, the seed is, is the gospel, the good news that Jesus was, was sowing. The, the soil is, is the human heart, and the crop or the harvest are good deeds in, per, in people's lives that build the kingdom of God. Now, of these four types of soil, the second, third, and fourth represent believers. They're all believers. The gospel seed has sprung forth. But only one of them is productive. Only one of them produces a crop that honors the Lord. The second soil, the seed springs up, but it has no perseverance. It withers over time. But it's a third soil that I really want to look at. Third soil has weeds growing in it. So this third soil, let's, let's be clear, it's really good soil. It's really good soil because lots of stuff grows in it. Not just the gospel, but all the cares, all the concerns of life grow up in this person's life. There's so many things growing in their lives that it leaves no room for the gospel of Jesus to grow and produce fruit. Leaves no room in their lives for them to walk with Jesus and honor him. Their walk with the Lord gets choked out by all of the good things of life. Jesus gives us that idea when he interprets this parable. Look down at verse 22. Jesus says, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Jesus mentions a couple kinds of weeds that choke out walking with the Lord in our lives. The second one, the deceitfulness of riches, that's, that's a whole other sermon. If you prioritize the making of money, that will leave no room in your life for walking with the Lord, but we'll talk about that another time. 
I want to focus on that first weed, the cares of this world. The word in Greek, it means literally those things that make you worried or anxious. Those things in your life, which might be good, they may be good things, but they, there's so many of them, they cause you to be anxious and worried. And that's a pretty good description of how many of us feel this time of year. The holidays come, for most of you, it actually it starts not on Thanksgiving, it starts in Halloween. You have Halloween and, and it ends and all of a sudden you feel that, that beginning of stress, the birth of anxiety in your life because you know I just got two months to get everything done for the end of the year, everything ready for Christmas. That stress builds because we have so many things to do, so many things to care about during the holiday season. Our to-do list is so long that it leaves no time for us to spend at the feet of Jesus. Now what is the solution for the third soil? In this parable, what does Jesus want this person to do who has all these cares growing up and choking out their time with him? Well, the solution to the third soil is really simple. You've you got to weed the garden. You've got to reduce the number of things in your life that are competing with Jesus for time. You've got to simplify You've got to let some balls drop. You've got to let some things go so that there is room in your life to walk with the Lord, to spend time in His Word and and time in prayer. You only have a limited amount of time and energy in a given day, and so if you want to have more time with Jesus, you must let something else go. You have to simplify life if you want to have time with the Lord, if you want to have time to celebrate the arrival of Jesus this Christmas. This parable, it reminds me of the story of, of Jesus' encounter with two sisters, Mary and Martha. You, you may know this story. Jesus comes to their house. It's told in Luke chapter 10. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. I feel like Christmas in America turns us all into Martha's, doesn't it? We get so busy with so many things that we don't have time just to to sit simply at the feet of Jesus and listen to him and celebrate his arrival. Now let's be clear, everything that Martha was doing was good stuff, right? She She was cooking, she was serving her guests, she was cleaning her house, she was taking care of people's physical needs. That's all really good stuff. The problem was Martha let the good stuff choke out the best stuff, the one thing that she needed above everything else. She let her, her need to serve other people prevent her from having any time for herself to sit at the feet of Jesus and just listen. And so what is the solution to this story? What does Jesus want Martha to do? Well, very simply, I think the solution to this story, I think Jesus is telling Martha, it is time to disappoint some people. It's time to disappoint some people. Because that's what's going to happen, right? Because think about it. If both Mary and Martha are sitting at the feet of Jesus, then who is cooking the dinner? No one. Who's refilling people's cups? No one. Who's cleaning up after other people? No one. 
balls are dropping. People are getting disappointed. Mary and Martha are losing Hostess of the Year award. But that's okay if that's what it takes to have time to sit at the feet of Jesus. I think this is what a lot of us need to hear because I think that our problem in in the middle of this holiday season, the middle of Christmas, is that we have created an entirely unrealistic expectation of what men and women have to do during Christmas. We've created this huge list of things that is required of you if you are going to have a good holiday with your family. But where in the Bible does it say that you have to hang lights on your house? Where in the Bible does it say that you have to decorate a tree? Where in the Bible does it say you have to send Christmas cards? Where in the Bible does it say you have to visit all of your relatives? All of those things are really good things. But it's not okay to allow them to distract us from the one and only thing that matters. See, none of those things are essential. We have made them essential. Because we believe we have to do them in order not to disappoint other people. And we're so worried about what other people think, about about making them happy, about pleasing them, that we forget to do the one and only thing that matters during Christmas, to sit quietly at the feet of Jesus and celebrate his arrival. To spend time in his word and in his prayer just listening to him. That's the one thing that matters, but we let that get trumped by all of these expectations we place upon ourselves. And so what I think Jesus is calling us to do, let's be really clear about this. He's not trying to create guilt in your life. He's not trying to add another thing on your to-do list. Exactly the opposite. What Jesus is saying to us in in this story, this encounter with Mary and Martha, Jesus is telling us that it is okay to disappoint one another if that's what's required to spend some time at his feet. Jesus is giving you freedom, freedom to simplify, freedom to let some balls drop, freedom to disappoint some people, freedom to not live up to the expectations we've created for ourselves during the holidays. Jesus wants you to experience freedom so that this holiday you can have at least a little bit of time to sit at his feet quietly, to celebrate the arrival of of your creator, of your king in human flesh. Jesus wants you to to have freedom this Christmas so that you can apply the words of Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. If you are going to send Christmas cards this year, this probably ought to be your theme verse for Christmas that you put at the bottom of your card because this is what we all need to be reminding each other of. Be still, Just stop for a minute. In the rush of all of this crazy stuff we're trying to get done, be still long enough to remember that there is a God in heaven who loves you so much that he sent his own son to become one of us, to live for us, to die for us, to rise for us. Let's be still. Let's stop long enough to spend some time at the feet of Jesus this Christmas season. Let's simplify our schedules. Now, very practically, what I, th- what I think that means for you, what I would encourage you to do, is just choose one thing 
that you typically do during the holiday season. One tradition, one obligation, one requirement you've placed upon yourself and let that thing go. Cross that thing on your list. I'm not talking about getting radical here. You don't have to set aside all of Christmas or anything like that. Just choose one thing. Just one thing that that you feel like you got to do, but it's not a biblical requirement. Cross that one thing off your list to free up a little bit of time to spend at the feet of Jesus this Christmas season. Free up just a little time to spend in his word so that you can listen to him, so that you can learn from him, so that you can worship him and give him thanks because that's what Christmas is about. That is the one and only essential thing that you do during Christmas is spend time at the feet of Jesus. Everything else is second to that. So simplify your schedule. Pick one thing today that you're just gonna cross off the list. It's okay. Yeah, that'll disappoint somebody. That's okay. Jesus wants you to disappoint some people so that you can spend time at his feet, in his word, and in prayer. So that's my first encouragement from you this holiday season, is find a way to simplify your schedule a little bit, so that you have time to to sit at the feet of Jesus, to, to notice, to recognize, to worship, that the King of Kings came in human flesh. That's my first idea for you. My second idea to help you to to keep Christ first in Christmas this season for you and for your family. Second practical idea is to recognize your need for Jesus. Now, every good story needs a bad guy. There's got to be a bad guy or a collection of bad guys to create conflict with, with the good guy. So in the Gospels, Jesus is the good guy and the bad guys are the Pharisees. Pharisees. So they were the religious elite of first century Israel. The Pharisees, they were all rich people. They're all rich guys who didn't have to work a job. They had enough time that they could spend all of their day studying and practicing the Mosaic law. Okay, so they took the Mosaic law revealed in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and they boiled it all down. They reduced it to a list, literally a list of 613 specific commands, things that you should do, things that you must not do. And they spent all their time every day keeping that huge list and they got really good at it. Really good at it. Actually, Paul, in the book of Philippians, he reflects back on his life as a Pharisee. And he says, hey, when I was a Pharisee, I was blameless in the eyes of the Pharisees. They they thought that they were better than everyone else. They actually believed that they weren't sinners like us common people. You see that in passages like Matthew 9. As Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? See how the Pharisees distinguish themselves from those sinners over there. They were self-righteous. And so because they believed that they didn't have any sin in their lives, because they believed that they were blameless, when Jesus arrives on earth and offers to save people from their sins, the Pharisees say, no, thank you. Don't need that. Why why would I need a savior? I don't have any sin that I need to be saved from. Now, hopefully none of us are as arrogant as the Pharisees. But I think that many, if not all of us, tend to make the same mistake that they did. We tend to underestimate our need for Jesus. 
That's certainly what the average American does. The average American, I don't know if you know this, but the average person in our country believes that God exists. They believe that heaven is real. And they believe that the way you get to heaven is by making sure that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. So as long as you are better than the average person, as long as you haven't committed any really bad sins, as long as you try your best, surely you're the kind of person that God will let into heaven. But Jesus says that's, that's not exactly correct. It's not true. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus tackles head on this idea of self-righteousness that your good deeds could outweigh your bad deeds and get you into heaven. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a pretty big slap in the face to the Pharisees. These guys who spent all day, every day doing good deeds. They never committed any of the big cardinal sins. And yet Jesus says, they're not in. They are not good enough. They don't have enough good deeds to outweigh their bad deeds and get them into heaven. So so how good do you have to be if you want your good deeds to outweigh your bad deeds and get you into heaven? Well, Jesus says later in that chapter, you therefore must be perfect. And just in case you don't know what perfect means, I mean as your heavenly Father is perfect. So if you want to get into heaven by virtue of your deeds, by your good deeds outweighing your bad deeds, Jesus says, okay, well, let me tell you what the standard is. It's perfection. Absolute God-like perfection every minute of every day. In other words, if this is a scale with balances, you can't have anything on the bad side. You have to have everything on the good side. If you want to get into heaven, you must be absolutely perfect. Now, I think most people are willing to admit we don't pass that standard. We don't pass that test. We are sinners. We have done bad things, and Jesus is clear. The result is none of us deserve heaven. That is why we need a Savior, and that is why Christmas is such good news. Because Christmas is when we celebrate that God gave us his Son, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God is saying you don't have to earn heaven. It's not something you, you deserve. It's not something you earn. It's not something you try to work for. It's a gift. It's a gift that Jesus earned for you. Jesus came to earth. He took on human flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead so that you could get heaven for free, so that you could be forgiven and have God's love as a gift, not something you earn, not something you deserve. So when you die and stand before God and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? There is only one acceptable answer. Because of Jesus not because of anything I've done, not because of my good deeds, not because I didn't do any really bad stuff, but because of Jesus, because of what he did, because he died for my sins and rose from the dead. That is the only reason a sinner like me would ever be allowed into heaven. I hope that you believe that. If you don't believe that, if there's something holding you back, please, I hope you'll come talk to me or send me an email. I would love to talk to you about Now, if you have believed that good news, that heaven is an absolutely free gift, the good news is you have eternal life. The bad news is you still struggle 
to remember how incredibly desperately you need Jesus. It is so easy to take him for granted. It is so easy to underestimate our need for Jesus just to make it through the day, just to make it through another holiday season. I struggle with that. So I'm a pastor. I talk about Jesus for a living. I teach people about Jesus as my job. And yet still, if you look at how I live, my daily life, you'll probably see that I live as if what mattered most in my life was not Jesus, but getting my to-do list done. Because that's, that's how I live most days. It's probably how you live most days. Even though we believe in Jesus, we live as if what mattered most is getting our stuff done. That's what we focus on, and we forget to put our eyes on our Savior. The one person we need most. This holiday season, you want to make it through Christmas well? Holidays are not easy. You want to get through the holidays well? The one and only thing you need is time at the feet of Jesus. That's what you need most of all. What I need to remember when I get fixated on my to-do list, what I need to remember are Paul's words in Philippians chapter 3. In verse 8, one of the most significant verses in the Bible, Paul says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Now the reason that that word rubbish is in quotes is that that's not a very good translation of the word in Greek. In Greek, it's a curse word. It's the S word, quite literally. Now I am not an apostle like Paul, so I'm not gonna say the word from the pulpit. I'm just going to let you fill in the blank. I think what Paul wants us to understand this holiday is that sending Christmas cards is you know what compared to knowing Christ more. And decorating a tree is you know what compared to knowing Christ more. And finishing all the stuff on your to-do list is you know what compared to knowing Christ more. All of these things that we place on our shoulders, all of these man-made obligations revolved around the holidays, they are nothing, worse than nothing, compared to knowing Jesus Christ more. Paul wants us to believe the words of the psalmist. In Psalm 42, he says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul Thirst for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? You, you, you see in those words that the psalmist believed that spending time in God's word and in prayer with God was as essential to life as water. How long can you go without water? Not very long. But once you understand, that's how long you can go without time in the word and time in prayer. It is absolutely the most essential thing in your daily schedule to spend time with the Lord in his word. So when I look at my life, what I want to understand is that any day I spend on this earth giving no time to Jesus, no time in his word, no time in prayer, that is a completely wasted day. It does not matter what else I get done. Could be a whole lot of stuff. That's a complete failure of a day. Because I did not do the one and only thing that truly mattered. Spending time at the feet of Jesus in his word and in prayer. That's all that matters. And so what I'm challenging you to do this Christmas is is to pause long enough to remember and to reflect on how desperately you need Jesus. Not just for eternal life, but for strength to make it through the day. The only way you're going to make it through Christmas well 
is to spend time at the feet of Jesus. That's what you need most of all. You need it as badly as your body needs water. You must be in the word. You must be in prayer. You cannot do life well unless you spend time in the word of God and in prayer. So remember how desperately you need the Lord. As you enter into this holiday season, two things that I want you to be thinking about, these two practical ideas, I want to encourage you to simplify your schedule. Find some ball to drop so that you have time to sit at the feet of Jesus and spend time remembering and and meditating on how desperately you need Jesus. Even if it doesn't feel like it, remind yourself, choose to believe that you need to spend time with Jesus every day if you're going to make it through life well. well. I want to leave you with a passage out of the Old Testament. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 was written 700 years before Jesus arrived. God spoke through Isaiah to the Israelites. Look with me starting in verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. And uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah pictures God far away from his people. There's a wilderness, a desert, mountains, valleys separating them, but God promises all that's about to change. I'm coming soon in person, in the flesh, to bring restoration and and healing to you. What, What this passage is about is Christmas, the first Christmas, when God came in human flesh to draw near to his people and save them from their sins. But notice, they have something to do. God challenges them, get ready Make ready for the Lord. Level the mountains, lift up the valleys. What he's talking about is preparing your heart, making room in your life for the arrival of the Savior. Now, they lived before the incarnation. We live after the incarnation, but the command is the same. As we get ready to to celebrate, to remember this holiday of, of when our Savior became flesh, when he came and lived among us, what God is challenging us to do this Christmas is to make room in our hearts to prepare ourselves for the arrival of our King. And so very practically, what I want to encourage you to do, my last piece of advice for you, I had you turn to Isaiah 40 for a reason. First of all, it's a great passage, but second... Because Isaiah 40 until the end of the book, chapter 66, is among the most beautiful sections of Scripture you'll find anywhere in the Bible. It's actually one of my absolute favorite. It's full of poetry and theology and worship. It's, it's all about Jesus and what God has in store for us in the future. Chapter 40 through, through 66 is a perfect section to read this holiday. I would encourage you to take one chapter a day. It's one chapter a day, starting today. So you're going to have to simplify a little bit. You're going to have to drop something to free up about 15 minutes a day to read one chapter of Isaiah, starting in chapter 40, going through chapter 66. That will take you through the first week of January. Take that time, one chapter a day in Isaiah, to remember who God is, to remember what Jesus has done for you, and to give thanks. Now, if you, if you would prefer to spend your time in the New Testament, maybe you just finished going through Isaiah or something in the Old Testament, I would encourage you to go through the book of Luke, 24 chapters. If you read one chapter of Luke a day, it will take you also through the first week of January. 
So whether you want to spend time in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, Isaiah or Luke, what I'm encouraging you to do is to free up enough time to read one chapter a day from now into the new year. Take that, that time, read that chapter, and just give thanks. Give thanks that 2,000 years ago, God cared enough about you not to leave you in your sins, not to give you what you deserved, but to take on human flesh, the creator becoming an infant, to live a perfect life for you, to die the death that you deserve, to rise from the dead so that you could have life and forgiveness for free. Take some time to reflect and to give thanks for what God has done, for what Christmas is all about. I want you to do whatever it takes to keep Christ first in Christmas because that's what it's all about. That's really the only thing that matters this holiday. Now, I want to close and give thanks to the Lord, but after I pray, I'd ask you to stay in your seats. Jason's going to come up. We have a few year-end announcements to give you guys some holiday schedule stuff that you need to know about. So if you'll join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. You are a gracious God. We deserve wrath. We deserve punishment for our sins. We have done things that are wrong. We have lied. We have cheated. We've been selfish. We've been prideful. We've been unloving. Lord, we deserve wrath from you. Instead, you give us life. You give us your love. You give us eternal life and forgiveness is an absolutely free gift. You've given us your son, Jesus Christ. We We praise you that as Christmas comes, it's our opportunity to remember that that the cost of forgiveness for us was the life of your son. That he came to earth as an infant to die. He did not come to live. He did not come to be exalted. He did not come to receive all the worship that he deserved, but he came to be rejected and crucified for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be with you. We thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you that he died for us and rose from the dead so that we could spend eternity with you. Help us to remember that, Lord. I pray that you would help us to give thanks to Jesus this Christmas season. I pray that you would help us to be willing to disappoint other people if that's what it takes, to free up some time to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ. I pray that we would make time for him, that we would make room in our hearts to celebrate and give thanks for the arrival and gift of your son. Thank you for Jesus. We pray that our lives would be pleasing to him. In his name and for his glory we pray. Amen.